Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So in the psalm that we prayed this morning, we hear, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. The New Revised Standard Version says, Happy are they who trust in the Lord. Happy are they who trust in the Lord. God wants you to be happy. What do you do with that phrase? Blessed. We don't know what to do quite with that word. There's been lots of debate and arguments about how to translate it. Some translations, and probably for very good reasons, steer away from translating it happy. And it's mainly because they've sort of given up. That the word happy in our language just falls absolutely short. Some suggest we should pronounce it blissful. Blessed is the is the way 30 or 40 years ago they, they, they landed on. It's a sense of blessedness. But even that word sometimes has been turned into a hashtag. <laughs> but the Sermon on the Mount says over and over again, blessed, blessed, blessed. When he was translating the message 27, 28 years ago now, Eugene Peterson insisted on the word happy. And I can't tell you the wars in the editing room that happened over this. Happiness. It is closer probably to the way we can understand, at least in a biblical sense, the concept of joy. And yet there is something that might be lost if we completely surrender this word happy. That there is an abundance that just spills out. It's a joy that we find in the psalm that is not oblivious at all to pain, but it's actually born patiently as we languish in the language of the psalm in the slimy pits. It's a blessedness that's actually born amid tears. It's a deep and solid goodness. I think, though, that many of us resist this idea of God desiring our happiness, though, perhaps because we just constitutionally recoil from the idea of happiness or joy altogether. <laughs> There's a kind of deep melancholy. And it's not in any way to dismiss this reality, but it's to say that's not the only reality. And there are some of us who refuse to feel joy because all we, can, we feel safest when we connect with sorrow. And there are some of us who all we feel is sorrow because we find it really difficult and we feel safest when we're resisting joy. And either way it goes, the reality is that God wants to do something deeper in us. Some of us recoil from the idea that God is the source of happiness or joy. 
I think this is the place that I, I want us to ponder the most this morning is I'm not convinced that most of us in the deepest part, actually not the deepest part of our being, but the part of our being that we're most aware of, do we really believe that God is the deep source of happiness and joy? I think we often sort of buy into this notion that in order to pursue our truest happiness, that somehow God is a barrier to that. I mean, because we're here at worship on Sunday mornings, we probably would never actually say such a thing. But I think it's sort of the ethos that we live in. I think some of us fear that if we pursue God with the fullness of our heart and abandonment, if we allow God's love to truly ravish us, if we throw up our hands and say, God, I'm fully at your mercy and I'm truly and fully gonna trust as best I know how your way and your invitation in my life that somehow the cost will be too great, that somehow we'll lose out on what we truly want, that somehow what will be asked of us will be more than we really want to give. I think some of us look at the realities of our world and we think, how, how could God truly be a God of happiness and joy? You know, this is one of the reasons that we sing gospel music some at All Souls, music that is primarily born out of the black church. This is precisely the church in our context that has endured the most pain and at the same time has been overwhelmed by so much grace. If you were to talk to Brendan about the multiple of reasons why we sing gospel music, part of it is because we want to show our allegiance to the whole church. But another part of it is that we want to actually learn what that tradition has to teach us. This music isn't just a style, it's a theological conviction. This music is more than an art form. It is our teacher. And it's teaching us what it means to truly believe, and sometimes in the most difficult places, what it means for God to be our joy and our happiness, our blessedness. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud or to those who turn aside to false gods. Now, the way we hear this psalm will be important. This is not transactional. The psalmist isn't saying, if we do our part, trusting the Lord, then God rewards us with a blessing. Rather, the psalmist is describing for us the reality of things. Trusting God leads to blessedness, but pride in the worship of false gods ultimately yields ruin. It's like saying, if we want to go to Lynchburg, we go south on 29. Now, you can go north on 29 if you want, but you're not going to get to Lynchburg. I mean, maybe, I guess if you went far enough and came all the way around, you could somehow end up there. But if you want to go to Lynchburg, you go south. If we want the deep goodness and happiness and joy and blessedness 
that God intends for our lives, then we trust the Lord. Giving ourselves to false gods never yields the good life we long for because the gods are false. They're lies. They offer mirages. We give ourselves to them and we find out they were masterful delusions. Some translations actually don't translate this false gods. They translate it the lying ones or those who lie. At the very core of all the things that pull us away from God, all of the false things, at its very core is lie. And the trickiest thing about worshiping false gods is that we rarely know that we're worshiping them. I mean, we read the stories in the Old Testament and we think, what kind of bozos? I mean, come on, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Israel made a gold calf to worship. Ancient cultures had shrines to every kind of deity, the god of the sky, the rain, the trees. And we lampoon this simplistic, antiquated thinking. But what we miss is that in these ancient cultures, no one was sitting there saying, oh, let's go make a false god. Let's go make a lie because it's not true. These, these false deities fit in with their worldview. It was the most natural thing in the world to create some physical expression of the way they thought the world worked. Tomorrow is uh, MLK Day. I've been reflecting this weekend about his life, and when Dr. King's voice was speaking to the church, he was not merely confronting racism. He was unmasking something that was deeper than that, and in many ways for Christians more insidious and more at the root. He was unmasking idolatry, a way that we view the world that is in contrary to the reality of how God says it is to be true. But the problem, and this is what haunts many of us who are white Christians, we wonder, would we have seen it? The problem with idols is you rarely ever know you're worshiping them. Two young fish were swimming in a stream, doing what they normally do, just doing their thing, swimming along, and an old fish met them coming the opposite direction and said, morning, fellas, how's the water? Probably heard this story, right? How's the water? They kind of looked, said, it's fine swam on for a while, and all of a sudden, one of the young fishermen looked at the other, fish, looked at the other guy and said, what's a water? <laughs> Delayed reaction. <laughs> so how do we know the water we're swimming in? How do we know the things we believe, the things we trust, without even consciously knowing that we believe or trust them. The psalmist's prayer cries out from the slimy pit, mired in the mud and sludge. It was a prayer that was prayed amid devastation. Our gods are the things, the people, the dogmas, whatever it is that we believe will save us. It could be all kinds of things. What others think of us, 
an ample 401k, conservative theology or values, progressive theology or values, self-effort, being right, being smart, having that relationship, being understood, feeling safe. Whatever we believe we cannot live without, whatever we give ourselves to, whatever destroys us when we're not sure if we're going to have it, whatever it is we trust, that's how we find our God. In his uh, address um, to Kenyon College, I think it was 2005, I think, uh, graduation address, David Foster Wallace said this. Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God, and I should say here, is if anyone's read David Foster Wallace, he's not arguing for a Christian vision of God. Okay? <laughs> I want to be fair to him. The compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are what you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will never ever, you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Anything else you worship will eat you alive. And this is why God, through the entire Old and New Testaments, is so concerned about having false idols. I mean, it is on almost every page. And it's not just the matter of some narcissistic deity insisting on an unyielding religious rule. It's because God knows whatever we love, we worship. And whatever we love and worship, we become. Our gods actually consume us. And if we are consumed by false gods, if we are becoming lies, then we are on the path to sorrow rather than goodness and joy and blessedness. I've encountered a number of stories over the past couple months. Friends, beloved members of our community, friends who aren't from here, beloved daughters and sons of God. But what I encounter is being consumed by lies. Surrendering ourselves to false gods. And the great tragedy here is that it's, it's, it's not because it's breaking an abstract rule. It's because it is not the way of happiness and blessedness. And I think 
and, I, and I'm careful, I'm very aware in preaching sermons like this that I can put myself apart, and I'm putting myself right in the center. I think the water that we swim in is really hard to recognize. And maybe perhaps particularly for those of us who show up on Sunday mornings that we don't recognize how strong our idols are. How what we really, really trust in and believe in is not the God revealed in Jesus Christ. It's the God revealed in my checkbook or me in the voting booth or me on my, uh, whatever my adventure is in life, whatever it is I'm pursuing. And then God gets the little part that sort of balances everything out. That's a false God. And it's why this word trust is so crucial. If we need help identifying what or who we think will save us, here's another way we can ask the question. What or who do we trust? What philosophy? What ideology? What economy? What kingdom? And if the answer to that is myself, oh, dear God, save us. That will ultimately be a terrifying place to exist. I've told y'all before that I, uh, for a long time, have seasons where I struggle with really obsessive thoughts. It can yield fear, sort of relational distance. And sometimes, you know, I just, I can't figure out how to stop it. In those moments, one of the things that I've recognized is, and if you haven't, if you haven't experienced this, maybe this doesn't make any sense to you, but there's a sense in which I have to learn that I can't even fully trust my own mind. You know that bumper sticker, and normally you make fun of bumper stickers, this is a great one, don't trust everything you think. <laughs> we all trust something we all do this is why Wallace would say in the real grit of adult life there's no true atheist maybe there's an atheist who doesn't believe in the theistic God, but they believe in something. William Cavanaugh says, when one stops believing in God, one does not merely stop believing, rather one believes in all sorts of things. Augustine was a man of the world, a man of philosophies and appetites, a wandering heart. His spiritual classic, Confessions tells of his search for himself. Interestingly, anyone who wants to say, oh, ancient Christians or ancient thinkers, they didn't have much of an interior life. You haven't read these people. <laughs> his vast search for himself was found in searching knowledge, and he was brilliant. Sexual exploits, and he had numerous adventure, sophistication, stimulating philosophy, 
stimulating geography, piles of money, pleasures of every sort. But as he writes in Confessions, at the end of all this searching, he was absolutely adrift. And this is how he put it. I had lost myself and couldn't find me. I turned myself into a famished land that I had to live in. Does anybody connect with that? Have any of us turned ourselves into a famished land that we have to live in? Until God found Augustine. And God ravaged Augustine with God's own self. And found by God, Augustine surrendered. And Augustine trusted. And he would say that in that process, he actually began to find himself again. So this is why I wanted to tell you about Augustine, is in his life and example, he echoes what the scriptures tell us, that actually being found by God and God's love is actually the way of finding our truest self. It's not the way of being won over to something, kicking and dragging and screaming against our own self. It's being able to be liberated to be our true self. It is actually the way that we find ourselves coming back home. Because God is our home. If God is our home, if Jesus makes it possible again to truly be human, then to trust in God, to resist every false God, is the way of happiness and blessedness because it's the way that we come home to our true self. Do you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.